this is Paul Dennett in Sydney, Australia. As always, I'm here with Patrick Avenal. Hi, Paul. Hello, listeners. Welcome, everyone, to this next episode of Bat and Ball with Pat and Paul. Today we're going to talk about the T20 game that occurred just recently between Australia and South Africa, which was won by South Africa. We're going to discuss Australia's World T20 side and discuss our prospects at the T20 World Cup. Talk about the fact that as things stand, the tournament will not be broadcast into Australia and discuss the upcoming schedule of cricket that's happening all over the world involving Australia over this upcoming winter. I jerked awake this morning at about 4am and knew that something was wrong and didn't know what and then I realised I forgot to set the tape on the cricket and by waking up it was my internal cricket alarm clock coming in to rescue me and so I jumped up and turned on the TV and I saw, saw that Australia were, were six down for about 105 at the time. They'd had a really good start but had fallen by the wayside quite badly. Patrick, I think you watched every ball, um, albeit at a very quick pace. Uh, what was the, what was your impressions of the what were your impressions of the Australian innings? Well, uh, hi Paul, and uh, I did enjoy uh, this match. I watched it uh, fast forwarding at six times between every delivery after I got up at around seven a.m. So I did see every delivery, and I didn't know the result, but I, I wasn't absorbing it at the same way that I would normally absorb a game of cricket. I thought that uh, Australia batted very similarly to the first T20 against India if you can cast your minds back uh, a month to that game, where we got off to a, quite a fast start, a blinding start, in fact, from Finch and Warner while they were at the crease. And uh, Finch took 20 runs off, an abs- uh, took 24 runs off an absolutely ghastly over from J.P. Dumini. And then the next over, David Warner took 16. So they'd taken uh, 40 runs off two overs. And, and at, uh, at around two for 70 after six overs, they looked as though 200 was on the cards. But... As seems to happen with Australia T20 innings, the wickets just didn't stop falling. And uh, Dave Warner got out, then Finch got out. Smith uh, really struggled uh, and uh, was eventually caught by uh, Quinton de Kock. And then uh, Glenn Maxwell again looked very good, but hold out to Faf Dupassi. And then Mitchell Marsh uh, played a, a real gem of an innings when Australia's could have you know tailed off for 120. He uh, knocked 35 of 25 and sort of limped to 157, which... Is, I always think 160 is, is the is the pass mark in a T20 match, and uh, I think it was the highest chase ever on the ground. I think Kingsmead is quite difficult to chase um, in a one in a in a night game of T20. Yeah, 151 was the previous record, and uh, Kingsmead is a ground that I have a, an affection for, seeing that I lived on that ground for a month during the 2010 World Cup. So it was nice seeing all of the stands and, and the ground. It's an unusual connection to a ground to know that you've had um, night after night sleeping in a tent on a test cricket venue. Yeah, it was, uh, and uh, the they'd set up a, a pagoda or a pavilion just uh, behind where the uh, commentary team were, and that's where there was a big marquee where you could watch all the games of soccer that were on, and State of Origin, and the Canadian Formula One Grand Prix, which all happened uh, while I was at the World Cup, and also that uh, tennis match at Wimbledon that was John Isner won in seventy sixty eight. In the fifth? Jeez, you didn't watch all of that, did you? Uh, no, but, uh, it was talked about. It was, it, was a, it was a big month of sport in South Africa that month. 
ways. <laughs> so anyway, I, I, turned, um, I, I kept on watching, and then the first ball of the South African run chase, De Villiers was caught behind in a stunning start, and then De Kock didn't last long, nor did Dumini, and it looked like Australia were going to win. And at that point, my daughter woke up crying, my two-year-old daughter, and I had no choice but to sort of rock her back to sleep, followed the rest of it on Crick Info, and it seemed that South Africa uh, had a bit of a resurgence and then limped towards the finish and then ended up winning it with um, a little bit of aplomb. It was, it was uh, A.B. de Villiers' second ever international Golden Duck. He, he scored a Golden Duck or was out for a Golden Duck against New Zealand in a test match in 2012. That was a fantastic start. And then when Nathan coulton who was Australia's pick of the bowls, he bowled beautifully, uh, caught and bowled Quinton de Kock off a, a, quite a fierce leading edge, Australia was very much on top. And then when Dupini fell at 3 for 41, I, I thought that it looked as though Australia's innings may not have been that poor. It was actually a real bowler's track, which is quite rare for South Africa, South African cricket in general and T20 in general. And, uh, but uh, Faf Duplessis came out and really smoked the, uh, the Australian bowlers. In particular, he, uh, he really took to Glenn Maxwell and... Uh, Adam Ty, or Andrew Ty, I'm sorry. I'm getting all the new players confused. Uh, Adam Zampa was the off spinner. The, uh, and then he was run out, a beautiful piece of uh, fielding from Peter Neville. And at that point, it looked as though Australia would win. They'd, uh, they'd, the, the run rate was out to eight or nine and over that was required. But it was uh, David Miller, who's a bit of a T20 specialist. He's South Africa's version, maybe, of uh, Glenn Maxwell, in that he, he really... This is his form of the game, that he really excels. And uh, he came out and hit 53 off 35. And there were some supporting knocks from David Weisser and, uh, and Morris. But uh, it was then David Miller got the job done, 53 off 35, and he was named man of the match. So I'll give you a trivia question without oh, notice, good. Patrick. What do the names, what do these names mean to you? What do they have in common? Ben Dunk, Nick Maddinson, Cameron White, Sean Abbott... Cameron Boyce and Doug Bollinger. Geez, they uh, except for Cameron White, who I think had a bit of talent and maybe didn't live up to his potential. I think they all their careers have all exceeded their abilities. <laughs> I'm guessing that's not the answer, though. Well, I think it's, I think Cameron Boyce has still got a. There are a few decent players in there, but the answer is they were all in the Australian starting eleven the last time Australia won a T20 game. Really? Yep. I'm trying to think of what that match would have been. Uh, against England after the Ashes? No, we lost that. Uh, we didn't play any against West Indies, so it would have been last summer we played... Jeez, how quickly one forgets. Uh, South Africa came out for one day, but I don't think we played any T20s against them. No, we did. We, we did. did. So it was against South Africa. Yep. 481 days ago was the last time Australia won a T20 international. And the rest of the side as well, there are other names in there that I didn't, um, didn't read out because they're sort of not, not remarkable. But only, I think, only Finch and Faulkner and Maxwell were in the side that played last night. So only three have survived, although some, are other, some others are in the squad. Um, now I, I find it amazing that um, Shane Watson didn't play. I know that this is only just a warm-up game, and, and and who knows what. But it was very strange to me that a Shane Watson didn't play, and b b that David Warner didn't open. 
Well, I was I only caught grabs of the commentary because I was fast forwarding between balls, but I did hear Mark War say that uh, the plan was for all the players in the squad to play two matches. Okay, that's fair enough. And I, when, when he says it that way, it does seem to, to, to make a bit of sense. I, I, personally, I've always believed that the most important game of cricket is the next one. It's not like um, the soccer where you build up for two major tournaments that are played uh, every two years or two every four years. In cricket, you just sort of you're just always playing these games. And when I hear play, when I hear them talk, say when I hear selectors talk about picking players for the future or rotating players, I always think just pick your best team. I agree with you there, but I think that there's an exception to be made in the lead up to a tournament like this. I think that um, you probably do want to have everyone informed, given that it's only a relatively small squad, 15, um, and that the, the World T20 is about to start. But I think that not opening with Warner. I, I presume their logic is that Kawaja's in such great form that he needs to open. And I've got no problem with Kawaja opening, but Warner is our best batsman, I think, in, in, in T20 cricket. I think that when the new ball, you know, the bowler's a little bit nervous, so often he almost risk-free smashes a few fours or a few sixes in the first couple of overs. Um, I think it's a major mistake to have him batting at number three rather than, um, you know, Finch is a very solid player, but I want Warner facing as many balls as he possibly can. I agree with you that uh, Warner should be face, should be opening. And I don't think there's a huge difference between opening and coming in at number three in, in T20 cricket. Uh, it's empirical. I have to go back and do some research. But my, my feeling is that Australia does very well in the first six overs when they're facing faster bowlers and the field's up and Warner, Finch, Kwaja, the batsman most likely, or Watson, the batsman most likely to be at the crease can hit in the air. But as soon as the field spreads and uh, change bowlers come on, we seem to struggle with that part of the game. We haven't learned how to adopt that, hit the ball into gaps, choose your moment, target, target the right bowler mentality that we saw through the big bash can be devastatingly effective when applied properly. We're going to struggle in that regard in India as well because we're going to have the additional problem of um, new batsmen coming out facing quality spin bowling on pitches that move about a bit. And I was hoping in this crazy series that should have been, both, both nations should have said, let's reschedule this to relocate this to India. So we have our three warm-up matches in India, which would have made a lot of sense. I heard that Smith correctly said we hope that the um, the grounds are made to resemble India as much as possible. Well, the hallmark of Indian um, grounds are that off-spinners do well. We had two overs of off-spin last night and they went for 40 runs combined. I think it further emphasises that we're, we're playing this these matches in the wrong continent. I think what's also troubling is that Imran Tahir, I mean, he's he's an okay batsman. He's an okay bowler. He, you know, he... He's got some good qualities, but he's not. You wouldn't put him in a conversation about who the best spin bowlers are in the world right now. He, his first delivery was a classic above the eyes full toss that Aaron Finch just turned straight to the fieldsman. And so we, we, it's it's the most simple things we can't even get right against spin bowlers. And he, he took three wickets, and I think he also had uh, Smith stumped and was given not out in a very close decision. Uh, if that's what if that's how we're playing Imran Tahir, I can't imagine how poorly we're going to go against the the really high quality spin bowlers that subcontinental teams will field in India. I agree, and the thing is that it's not that hard to change. I always remember that Matthew Hayden in two thousand and one 
um, was not a fixture by any means in the Australian side. And he, before Australia's tour of India, he famously went to a wicket in Brisbane, got it to be roughed up and watered and made to spin prodigiously, got lots of local um, quality spin bowlers to, to bowl to him and batted for two weeks against it, worked out his uh, mindset, perfected the aggressive sweep and, and did all sorts of things. Went to India and had the series of a lifetime in 2001. Scored a double century, I think scored a century, was the by far the preeminent batsman of Australia in that in that series. Um, we could have done that. Instead, we're playing test cricket and one day is against New Zealand in New Zealand and now we're doing the playing T20s in South Africa. It, it beggars belief, in my opinion. Well, it, it comes back to a point I've made uh, earlier on, on this pod. It's, Australia just doesn't seem to, to take T20 seriously in, in its team selections, in the sort of fixtures it arranges in the lead-up to this major tournament that you know, presumably we want to win. I, I, we just don't seem to take the game seriously enough to apply the resources to it, to understand the game, so that when we're playing it, it, we come across as a team that knows what we're doing. We, you know, I'm just having a look at the scorecard last night. Last night's T20 International was the 519th of that type of fixture since the format was introduced. I mean, the game's been around for a while now. It's here to stay. Australia has to start taking it seriously because, you know, I, for one, want to win this tournament that we're about to play to unite two of the World Cups. Exactly. And the rest of the world takes it seriously. Yeah. The, the sort of... Um naming system differences of calling it the, the World T20 and that the, the, the 50 overs is the World Cup, that's gradually dying. And more and more people are just calling it the World Cup. And, you know, it wouldn't surprise me in 20 years if they amalgamated the two when they were, you know, talking about who's won the most World Cups, just called them, called them the same thing. Now is the time for Australia to start taking things seriously because um, if they want to be on top of every category, then this is the one that they're glaringly not. And... You know, Rod Marsh, whenever I've heard him interviewed, uh, I, th- some of the interviews that he has put together have been hilarious the way he speaks about India. He speaks about India as though no Australian has ever been there before. Um, he, he said something like, you know, oh, I'm, I'm far from an expert on Indian conditions and I've never been over there for the IPL, so I'm gonna have, we're going to have to be relying on the advice of um, people who have been there. And he's he, talking about it in a way that is completely wrong for the, the chairman of selectors to be talking about it. Rod Marsh should have spent um, weeks and weeks and weeks over, over recent years in India. We should have a selector at every IPL game. Um, we've got money going, money galore. Uh, we should be taking it as professionally as it should be. It seems almost incredible that Rod Marsh would say that he hasn't been in India for a while. I mean, it's, it's, it's a noted uh, failing of the Australian cricket team, not just T20, that we underperform when we go to the subcontinent and India, especially because they are they have the best team. I, we should be we should almost have an office in India. It's so important to the whole makeup of the game now, Australia versus India. How competitive those tournament fixtures are. We're only going to be playing more matches in India. You'd think we'd have a permanent training camp there and and people on the ground. And you think India would do the same with us? That they should have a, a here is the Gabba that we've simulated in Mumbai. Um, we're putting our best players through it. I think the one thing I'll say in Australian cricket's favour is that we are now sending the A side over to India quite regularly. And I do believe at the centre of excellence, they are starting to prepare uh, Indian-like pitches to try to uh, replicate the conditions, which is something that should have happened 20 years ago. But 
better to happen now than never. Oh, I agree. Well, that's quite good, actually. Uh, hopefully, we'll start seeing some some players come through who can uh, not just uh, bat on that, but also take advantage of it from a bowling perspective. Because that's another thing that we see our bo- our off spinners have seemed to uh, have seen less effective in India than Indian spin bowlers. Just a quick note, shortly after recording this, it was announced that the World T20 would be covered on Australian television with Channel 9 and Foxtel, but I think that a lot of what we have to say with regards to the ICC especially still holds true. There are only 10 days to go until the World T20 starts in India, and in Australia, current holders of the World uh, Test and One Day Championship, there isn't even a TV schedule for it yet because none of the TV broadcasts in Australia on pay or free-to-air TV have secured the rights to the tournament. And I've never in my life uh, have we run so close to the start of a major sporting event without any TV network securing the rights. Paul, can you, do you know of any precedent for this? Not in the, not in the pay TV era. Um, the last time that I can think of this is 1987, when I was just old enough to be watching it, and I believe that the final of the World Cup in uh, Australia versus England in, as it was then called, Calcutta, the opening innings were shown on Australian TV, but because the second innings was going to be during the evening, they went to regular programming. Yeah, by dint of the fact that I watched the, the T20 overnight against South Africa, I do know that Super Sport has secured the rights to it in South Africa. So it, it is being shown outside the subcontinent, and it's on Sky in England. But Australia and New Zealand, perhaps because of economies of scale, or perhaps because our media landscape is much different to those overseas. They're, none of the networks have been able to stump up or have been willing to stump up the cash that is being demanded out of India for the rights. Well, it's, um, it's an absolute disgrace that uh, the ICC is 100% to blame for this. I don't blame the Australian TV networks at all. And I don't feel all that charitably disposed towards ESPN um, Star for asking what seems to be far too much for the broadcast rights, but I don't have, I can't criticise them too much either. You know, they're just a business trying to do their best. The International Cricket Council, by selling the rights to the tournament to ESPN Star, and I believe that they sold them directly to Sky Sports in England for broadcast to the UK, but to ESPN Star for broadcast to the rest of the world, and it was up to them then to on-sell them. The ICC, um, that alone should be enough to disband them that you've got a job to make sure that cricket is broadcast to as many places as possible and to protect the game. When you then take a large wad of cash from another broadcaster and then say, you know, do what you like, and the result is, as, it's, as we stand now, likely that the, there'll be no television coverage of what is being called a World Cup into Australia or New Zealand, um, it's just inexcusable. And the, the fact is, in Australia, um, international, T, international T20 isn't all that popular. It's in the middle of the start of the football seasons where most of the people in the country are focused on Australian rules or rugby league or even a couple of people on rugby union. Um, and, um, and the A-League will still be going, the soccer as well. That most of the games are going to be on either in the middle of the, middle of the night at the most awkward times or during prime time when they've got other things to be showing. Who is going to want to spend a large amount of money on this? I'm sure Channel 9, if the rights, if the amount of money had been asked for was, was reasonable, would have said, yeah, sure, we'll, we'll, we'll show them, we'll show the, the Australian games on GEM, 
um, which is their secondary cha secondary channel. I'm sure Foxtel would have said, yep, and we'll show um, all of the games live um, uh, on, on our channel, and it would have gone ahead nice and, and normally. But if you're asking too much money, these, these networks are simply going to say no, as they should. The, the matches for, for fans out there uh, start in Australia on the, on, in Sydney and in Melbourne during daylight saving time and then Brisbane an hour later are at 8.30pm and then at 1am. So 8.30pm and 1am in the two main media markets. Uh, certainly 8.30 is a good time. The way these things generally work is that by, by holding out until the last minute, by playing a game of brinkmanship, you eventually do seal the deal at the last moment at a, at a price which is, is reasonable because in the end, uh, ESPN Star, they've got this product that expires. As soon as the tournament ends, the product that they're trying to sell is worth nothing. It literally doesn't exist. So at the last minute, they have to sell it for whatever they'll get. And, and clearly, the networks are all just holding out. None of them see it as a, a, a cornerstone piece of programming worth competing for. They all see it as a product that at the last minute, one, one of them will put their hands up and buy it for the cut price that ESPN will offer. So the Australian cricket summer has ended. We're in March. Football season is on here. And back in the good old days, this would have meant a long, lonely winter without cricket, possibly enlivened by one international tour. These days, of course, the Australian cricket team will bounce around the world all over the place over the coming months. And you ask any cricket fan where we're playing and no one will know. And I think that's a serious problem. Just to educate myself, I've had a look and I can um, give you some of, the, some of the benefit of that. We've got these upcoming two T20s against South Africa. We then go to India for the T20 World Cup. Plenty of players will then play in the IPL. Then, as we've covered in a previous podcast, we have the storied, historic, amazing Australia, India, South Africa, Australia, West Indies, South Africa, nine one-day international tri-series in the West Indies, followed by a final. Um, the West Indies, good on them. They'll get some crowds spread and they'll get some interest. But why we are going to be playing in, a, in, a, in such an event, I don't know. And then following that, we travel to Sri Lanka. Three tests, five one-day games and two T20s. And I thought that was it, and that we'd then have the Australian summer um, coming up after that. But no, we're going to um, South Africa, and we're playing a one-day game against Ireland in South Africa, followed by five one-day games against South Africa, which is incredible, meaning that we're going to have three essentially meaningless series involving Australia and South Africa, all occurring during this um, upcoming off-season. I just find it perplexing, Patrick. What do you think? Well, the, the Australia West Indies South Africa game, if it weren't for the matches going to be played starting at about 1 a.m. Australian time, there'd be something almost charmingly quaint or romantic about such a series. It really harks back to the golden age of one day cricket, that. Uh, it's sort of like if you'd scheduled that in 1992 or 1993, just after South Africa were readmitted. That would have been, you know, an insanely popular tournament with some of the biggest names in world cricket playing. Now it just feels tired and, you know, uh, I wouldn't even call it opportunistic because I don't even know who benefits from it. 
Uh, who's going to go and watch Australia play South Africa in the Leeward Islands? Well, presumably they'll make money out of selling it to India. Yeah, um, that's, they'll have the, that's what I worry about is the whole reason for it. I, you know, hopefully they'll play the games uh, in the middle of the night so they're on during the day in Australia so we can watch them as well. Well, that's the end of this episode of Bat and Ball with Pat and Paul. Hope you enjoyed it. Look forward to hearing from you. Um, if you've got any feedback to me, I tweet at the underscore summer underscore game. Patrick? Hi, uh, you can find me on Twitter at Patrick Avenal. I also blog at completepatrick.com. Please look me up. See you next time.